Welcome to 96 Greers, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. I am Reg Lynn. And I'm Patrick Rapole. And today we are going to be talking about Grandma, 2015 movie starring Lily Tomlin and featuring, of course, Judy Greer. Um, but first off, how, how are you doing, Patrick? Oh, I'm okay. You're okay? I, I, I just realized that on a lot of podcasts, there's some kind of, there's like some 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 chit chat to kind of start out. Like, oh, yeah. Like checking in, like the hosts kind of check in with each other, what's mm-hmm. new in your life. But I, I, I think that probably happens on podcasts where the podcast is the main social function for the hosts exactly and we see each other every day so we don't even we don't even think to 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 ask but i was like oh is that like is that something we should do on a podcast should we be doing more to foster a parasocial relationship with our listeners we want people to project onto our fabulous lives and imagine if it was their own that's the other thing usually it's podcast hosts who live in la and they can be like oh i i had a read and jason matsukis was there and he's such a cool guy Right. you know that that kind of thing or like lisa hannah wald talking about her pet horse mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff people don't necessarily want to hear that i went to target today and bought pants and felt bad about my calves yeah yeah well <laughs> you know i mean but that's relatable though i i, I think i think trying on clothing and being like oh boy yeah. that, that's and i do relatable. a lot of toe walking so my calves are big and pants yeah. don't look re- right on them if they're not baggy because they mm. just all get they just start squeezing the hell out of my calves. Oh yeah, I guess I guess I could see how that would be how that would be an issue. Yeah, Re- ready-made clothing's no good. No, no, it's it's not. not made for most people. I mean, I'm I am I am someone with a dresser, and I have four pairs of jeans, and I have sixteen pairs or sixteen gray T-shirts. Yeah, and that was me throwing the white flag on on clothing altogether. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. But we are going to a uh, a wedding later this week. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in in in, ter- in terms of of clothing news, uh, I have been keeping my eye on this really expensive blazer for months and months now, mm-hmm. and and finally the 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 winds of clearance and the and the sea currents of a coupon Ooh. converged into the perfect storm of I could afford this blazer now. Thank you, global warming. <laughs> Yeah, that probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess me buying clothing that I don't really need is not like. I'll tell you one thing that people associate at this moment in history with uh, different air currents colliding into each other violently is uh, good vibes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe not the best metaphor. The the the, the El Nino of, of looking swag. But did you get the blazer? Yeah, I did. I did get the blazer. I'm really excited for it. Nice. Um. So we'll. I mean, not not that that's gonna matter to people who listen to our podcast because it's a not a visual medium uh but uh it's it, it's a we're, we're building mind pictures here yeah yeah so, so somebody just, is driving home and they've closed their eyes to imagine my calves in your blazer and don't open stop. your eyes open your eyes <laughs> help <laughs> 10 and 2 <laughs> should we should we do a podcast where we shout 10 and 2 check your blind spots every four minutes I think I think that would be a public service. Okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, I I know I listen to podcasts when I'm commuting. Uh-huh. I'm a careful driver. Right. 
Uh, we live in a multitasking society. The uh, yeah. moronic head of HBO right now, or I guess he's the head of all Warner Brothers right now, he suggested that one of the ways that CNN could interface with the other HBO properties is that you would be watching something on an HBO streaming service and you would get interruptioned. You would get interrupted if a major news event happened. <laughs> I mean, that's how it used to happen, that's right? A, that's how. Well, on uh, yeah, on broadcast TV, if if someone shot Kennedy, then yeah. they would turn off uh, "I Love Lucy." Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But um, may, maybe I don't necessarily need to like get Trump indicted when I'm just like trying to decompress watching our flag means death. Yeah, yeah. For I I, I see what you're saying. I think it, in my experience of of having broadcast news interrupt the show that I'm watching I feel like I I can't really think of a of a time where it was like you know we we interrupt this program because it's important to tell you that Reagan died like who gives a fuck <laughs> right to to be fair when 9/11 happened I was in class right. so not watching TV mm-hmm. uh but yeah like what like like what happens that's breaking news that's actually like vitally important to yeah. you know your your life in that moment very in my experience very little break the goal is obviously like what is vitally important is our service and that we're doing this for yeah. you and we're making sure you're sa- and it's yeah. it's it's all about and it's like do i trust any of these people to decide it's what a, is worth interrupting it, our flag means death no of course not it's a real boy who cried wolf situation yeah. boy who cried wolf blitzer oh topical Topical. We won't interrupt. The only thing, <laughs> only thing we're ever going to interrupt this podcast for is ten to two. Keep your eyes on the road. Wipers on, headlights on. Wipers on, headlights on. We live in Chicago, so people don't always do what they're supposed to do when it comes to driving. Oh my God, don't fucking get me started. This is a podcast about Judy Greer's filmography. <laughs> I would have that work out. Rich. This is not a podcast <laughs> about that bitch in the white Range Rover. <laughs> Who is going to be in my shit list until the heat death of the universe? Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, Patrick, have you seen Grandma before? I, I did see Grandma before. <laughs> this was a weird one for me because I think I I think even on the podcast I was like, yeah, but we're going to be doing Grandma. That's going to be good. Yeah, because I I had it. seen Grandma when it came out. I was working at a video store, and Grandma is absolutely the kind of like. Oh, this is a light, breezy indie comedy that's under ninety minutes that I can just sort of pop on. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. T- I'll take this home and rent it, even if I haven't necessarily heard anyone raving about it or anything. But it, it was. A, I think it was relatively well received when it came out, mm-hmm. and I re- received it well the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and this was 2015. Yeah, and uh, when we started prepping for the podcast, I watched all the movies. I watched the movie twice. So the first time I watched it, I was like, "Huh, well, this isn't quite." I think quite what I remember. It's not as good as I remember. And then the second <laughs> time I watched it, I'm like, this movie kind of sucks. I think Grandma kind of sucks. Yeah, not you know, your grandma, dear listener, but the no. fe- the feature film Grandma. I no. think it. I think it kind of just blows. I was going into it with. I won't say. I won't say I was going into Grandma with high expectations, but. I know that you are not one to hold back if you don't like a movie. If you yeah. if you have a critique of a movie, you you're not gonna let it slide. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were say w- when you were responding positively to oh we're gonna watch Grandma for the next one, I thought to myself, okay, well there must be something special about this, and I didn't really see anything special. About it. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I received it as like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a Andrew Bujowski, like mumblecore, kind of a low, right. low thing. And it's like, 
it doesn't have any of the stuff that those movies have that make it good. Um, but it does have the like low stakes and uh, sort of general aimlessness. You're right. It wasn't like this was a this wasn't a blockbuster. This wasn't you know the the, the film of the year. But it was received pretty positively. Uh, Lily Tomlin was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance. Um, there were, she was nominated for some other rewards. It was generally warmly received mm-hmm. um I, I think this might have precipitated the sort of lily tomlin renaissance that happened with the uh frankie and great or grace and frankie uh-huh. netflix show and then now there's just like a whole uh subgenre of like movies for actresses over the age of 70 right. to star in these movies there's like 80 for brady and the right. book club and there's like a book club sequel and i think this same director did another movie with lily tomlin uh, last year where it was her and again it was her and uh jane fonda and so like th- i think this predates all of that and might have even inspired it so i do think this is this this is a movie of some impact as opposed to a like addicted to fresno or a in memory yeah, of my father yeah. which came and went and most people, even the kind of people who would be into it, uh, did not see like an addicted to Fresno. Yeah, I think I think this is part of a, a zeitgeist of let's focus on older people, boomers. They were the protagonists <laughs> in New Hollywood, and guess what? It's the 21st century. They're still the fucking protagonists. <laughs> I, that's how brave. I, I think it might be. Look, I'm not a fan of grandma. I think it might be a little unfair to, to do. You, well, well, let me ask you. Do you think this is a movie that is like? If only more second wave feminists were around to set everybody straight. Like, do you think that that's the the, the story this movie is telling? Is that like, oh, isn't it great that this this mm. woman who has been here for most of the important women's movements of the 20th century and and on beyond, like, is you know, so much of this movie is like a guided tour through why abortions and abortion access are necessary. Yeah, and like, is part of that to you like we're going to flatter all of the like uh, liberal uh, boomers? Um, by saying like, yeah, you're, you'd be the cool one. That's a good question. Because when I think of like, oh, the boomers are still the protagonists, I think of like, yeah, Yellowstone is the biggest show on TV. Like, that's yeah, what I think yeah. about. And or... I, I think about this as something a little different. Oh my God. What is that movie where it's like Robert De Niro's interning at Google? Okay, yeah, yeah. The intern, yeah. <laughs> yeah the Absolutely. In, the intern, yeah. Which has a, a, which has a cult name. following. That is a movie that An ironic people... cult following? No, 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 no. Film, film a, critic, serious... A boomer f- cult following? Serious film critics and also unserious... Yeah, go ahead. A Bing cult following? It's a little bit of a Bing cult following. Like, like, like the stockholders at Bing, they're like, yes, this is the movie that's going to bring down Google. I'm going to buy my, my third vacation home. It is it is a cult following mostly through people who use uh, um, alternate uh, search engines. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I use DuckDuckGo. Would I like the intern? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a Nancy Myers uh, thing where it's it's like people are ready to to look at the private private Benjamin, it's all of his mm-hmm. descendants, and say yes, we're ready to wrap our arms around Nancy Myers. I think is the uh, intern thing, which I that's not really me. But um, at any rate, I do honestly like these are just movies that I'm like, I'm probably not going to be I like I'm probably not going to watch 80 for Brady and like, oh, yeah. you know, that was actually good. I'm glad I watched it. Like, yeah. I, I, like I'll watch all sorts of like crap. But like I, I know when a crap 
when a, a movie is not the kind of crap that I will get much entertainment out of. And yeah. it's like, I don't necessarily need to watch the book club where it's like, ooh, all of these boomer women are reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And they're like, well, you know, we never talked about sex. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they mention Erica Jong in that uh, that movie, <laughs> The Book Club, where they, they read Fifty Shades of Grey? I've, Maybe. Uh, passed. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but what what do you how do you feel about like what is the message of grandma? What is the what is the purpose of grandma? Well, before we talk about the purpose of yeah. grandma, I think we need to do a quick plot uh, summary. Fair enough for the listeners at home or in their car. Ten and two. Ten and two. L is a feminist poet whose marginal fame has faded with the second wave. She's just broken up with her younger girlfriend Olivia and cut up her credit cards when her teenage granddaughter Sage turns up at her house asking for $600 to pay for an abortion. L and Sage drive around meeting people from L's life and trying to put together the money before Sage's appointment at the women's clinic. Your question is, how do I think this movie views second wave feminist in the current age like l we could even back it up to like how did what did you feel about the movie because i it just seemed like you had a chip on your shoulder when you mentioned boomers are still the protagonists when i said that i don't think grandma is the number one reason i have that chip on my shoulder sure i think it's just society uh <laughs> everything gestures broadly and and i and i want to say i i am not opposed to uh, there being age diversity in terms of protagonists, of course not, not, not at all. Um, there was a there was a good stretch of time where, like this is this is in in some ways a correction to a lot of what came before, which is just like yeah, if you're old, if you're not an old action star, and we can't do a movie about how you're an aging yeah. action star, but still you can be like kick ass, yeah. then like we don't care about you, old person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or maybe you're per- portraying a famous person who was old. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. Then we'll get you come back and do Winston Churchill or whatever the fuck. Yeah, and and definitely it, it's a huge problem for women because it's like, well, if you're not the girlfriend, you're the mom. Right. There's the uh, f- uh, famous uh, Amy Schumer inside Amy Schumer sketch, oh, the, last the last fuckable, fuckable day, day, where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, Sally Field uh, played his love interest, and then six years later, she played his mom. Yeah, yeah, that, and and that's that's still a problem. There is, I believe, some merit to a woman of Lily Tomlin's age uh, play a protagonist, and and the movie being focused on her. <laughs> Yeah, what is this movie about? It's about <laughs> it's I I I think I think the reason that I'm struggling with with saying what the movie's about is because I feel like almost nothing gets resolved for L. I mean, spoiler alert, you know, Sage has her abortion. Mm-hmm. Um and L goes home. Right. And like that's kind of how the movie ends, and it is. I mean, it is implied that like um, so. L is a is a widow. Her wife Violet died uh, a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, it's yeah. semi recent death. Long term uh, wife. Uh, they were married and raised uh, Judy, who right. is played by Marcia Gay Harden, who is the mother to Sage, the right. uh, pregnant girl who needs the abortion. And what you hear is that they haven't been talking at all because it was like very clear that Judy was much closer to Violet and had a very rough relationship yeah. with Elle. Yeah. And so once Violet died, there that sort of familial relationship was kind of severed and and at the end of the movie they're gonna get dinner so there is that arc where it's like these three women all don't like each other Mm -hmm. uh the granddaughter the daughter and the and the mother Mm -hmm. 
Like they all kind of are fighting, and then at the end they're like, "I'm sorry," and yeah. then it's you know they're gonna they're gonna make up. Also, the movie does open with Elle and Olivia, who Judy Greer, um, who plays her her much younger girlfriend, breaking up. They have a a very nasty argument, specifically. L is saying, you know, oh, I was I was married to someone for 20, 30 years, however long it was. And you and I have been dating four months. You're just a footnote. And I was like, oh, my God, that's such a nasty thing to say to someone. Olivia leaves, um, understandably, very hurt. And then at the end of the movie, she shows up at Olivia's house and tries to at least apologize for for leaving things on such a sour note. So I guess there, there is there is some growth and there is some change for Elle but I mean it it just seems like like someone who is very much stuck in a place of grief and nostalgia and I guess almost not knowing what she's going to look forward to because so much of what she's accomplished in her life is behind her you know it kind of feels like it the, the movie has this feeling of you know oh feminism's kind of faded away it's it's either faded away and that community is not there anymore or it's become codified into these like academic structures or has become you know where her where her daughter judy is the sort of like hashtag girl boss with like a treadmill desk and it's like okay well that's how feminism got appropriated by you know corporate america yeah by corporate america and it's just, it's just like oh well capitalism took it and ran with it the way that it does with everything and her granddaughter doesn't know who her feminist heroes are and can't scrape together six hundred dollars to get an abortion so you know it does kind of feel like you know not not only is she sort of a a has been in the, in the world of you know feminist academia but it also feels like uh, the the principles that she has given her life to are dying as well, and it's not. And and I guess it's not like, oh, in the seventies we did things better, and it's and it's not like Sage is like, yeah, Grandma, you're so right, you're so cool, because because of the seventies or whatever. But it it does kind of feel like, man, I put my whole life into this, and and like it's nothing. It it it's it's forgotten. You know, tears in the rain. I I, I don't think that this is like like a movie that is like licking boomers boots or anything no um i th- I, I think the main problem with this movie though is all of those things you said mm-hmm. are sort of you can pull them out of the movie mm-hmm. the movie does not have the time energy or possibly confidence to investigate those things yeah this is a movie that was directed and written by paul whites mm-hmm. uh <laughs> or as i put in my notes what man wrote this movie <laughs> <laughs> and i i think it is a it's it's certainly not the uh the ignorant and dismissive take on feminists that like a lot of movies will get you but i sure. also don't think it's it has anything interesting or deep or nuanced to say about feminism no nor is it does it feel confident to like portray the dynamics of the community mm. which is like do you really think there's not like a world of like feminist academics in la like you like the like that just doesn't exist yeah i i mean i guess that's kind of olivia because there there is a point where L is saying, well, you know, why don't you finish your PhD? Uh, and, you know, she does work at this, like, you know, crunchy granola cafe that L's friend runs. So mm-hmm. there is a, a suggestion that there is a community, but that it's not 
what it once was, which I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I, I, I just I think it's a movie that like is it's not confident in that. So it no. retreats away from that. I think it's I think that's why there's a lot of like feeling of unresolved is because the best parts of the movie are the little glimpses of this like broader narrative about yeah about not just this one specific character but like who this character represents in modern culture and all yeah. that and like and it's just that's not where the movie ends up the only thing that this movie really does fall back on is just like abortion access is important abortions are a necessary part of any functioning society women's health is is important and women's undisrupted access to 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 their own health care is important and like through conversations we're gonna have lily tomlin explain all of this you know we're, we're gonna have l explain all of this to uh sage this is a movie i think mostly doesn't work because it it just feels too thin and like i just don't think many of the performances are there and like a lot of the character relationships don't feel good yeah um but like i do at least appreciate that that part hasn't necessarily aged poorly um to for me <laughs> like it's it it, it, it I'm not rolling my eyes at any of that. I'm I'm rolling my eyes at how didactic it is, but it is just like it it is very didactic. Obviously, this is a movie that was made when Roe v. Wade was still intact, and yeah. now we live in a world where Roe v. Wade was not intact. So, like, this was an issue that was important to take up, and I'm like glad a relatively mainstream indie comedy was did it. Like, but I I feel like it's almost one of those things where it's like all of that. You just tell me the premise of the movie. And I get the same vibe. Like the movie itself doesn't necessarily do anything specific or detailed with that other than just being like, you know, that this is what we believe as far as a man's just, you know, decision making in the process, which is he doesn't get to make the decision, you know, and this, and you know, this is what we, you know, you're not a slut for getting pregnant and, you know. We're going to highlight that pregnancy can be physically painful and it can make you feel ill and like that sort of thing. And like, I don't know, that's I, I all of those things I at least appreciated in the abstract um i'm there's another thing i, I want to talk about but we're going to get more into judy well, greer that well, is like the reason i don't think the movie works at all but that uh -huh. stuff i did enjoy or I, appreciate i didn't yeah because ev whenever there was a scene that kind of focused on the fact that it's like okay sage wants to terminate a pregnancy and they need to get her the money so she can do that because medical billing doesn't exist i guess i just kept thinking to myself obvious child did all this so much better uh i saw obvious child before i saw this movie and i i think that's such an improvement obvious on... child is a better movie the, so here's the here's the here's the story in my head i don't i don't necessarily have a detailed understanding of the making of the movie or anything but here's how it worked in my head we need a ticking clock okay she has an appointment it's like she can't make another appointment it would be. It would take a week. I don't want to wait a week. It's like fair enough. You shouldn't have to wait an additional week if you don't want to wait an additional week. Yeah. But like stakes are pretty low. She's gonna get an abortion. Yeah. The question is, can she get an abortion without telling her mother, <laughs> her rich mother? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so automatically the movie goes. All right, stakes aren't that high because I think what happened is he realized like if you're actually trying to capture the true problems of uh, of abortion access in America, it's like 
well, we got to set this somewhere other than L.A., but I don't have yeah. the money to do a shoot anywhere other than L.A. Yeah. Well, you got to set this in a community other than a wealthy one where it's like, oh, but I'm already kind of feeling weird about making this women's ass women movie. I'm the American Pie guy. Yeah. And I'm making a movie about three generations of women looking at feminism or whatever. Yeah. Am I also going to put class into that? Probably not. So let's yeah. say that or she just paid or, off all yeah. of her bills and cut up her credit cards. Yeah. A, a, a detail that seemed perfectly normal to me, but every single character makes her relitigate why she cut her credit cards yeah. and it's like I've people cut their credit card it's not like I can't believe anyone could possibly cut their credit cards you know yeah. um, but Lily Tomlin doesn't have any credit cards so she's got to go ask all of her friends and that's yeah. the journey which is like a brief very brief because this movie is is it under 80 minutes? I don't think it's under 80 minutes, but it's very short. It's like 79 minutes, I think. Um, yes, it is 79 minutes. You're right. It's, so it's so it's like they see four people to ask for money. It's not a it's not exactly like a, a great quest or whatever. Yeah. But like, so the stakes are low. Um, and the other sort of stakes are we open with this breakup. And the movie is sort of structured in a three-act way around three scenes with Judy Greer, where yeah. it's like they break up. Yeah. She runs into her when she's at work, when she's trying to... Uh, uh, Elle is trying to sell these first editions to uh, Judy Greer's boss, Yeah. Uh, to Olivia's boss, and Olivia happens to be at work that day, and so they see each other again. And then at the end, she goes and she apologizes. And so the movie's structured around that. That relationship sucks. <laughs> So bad. Yeah. yeah. The it's... opening line of the movie is I can't do this anymore. You're never there for me. You're a terrible girlfriend, but a wonderful poet. And it's like, <laughs> wait. Like, I literally don't know who anyone is right now. And I thought we were having a breakup scene, but now we're having a wonderful poet scene. Like, there's this like weird, like, they have to get too much exposition out there. So it just makes the relationship seem like fundamentally bizarre and like you find out they've only been dating for four months, which the logistics of, oh, she's like a recent widow. So mm -hmm. obviously it would seem a little callous. She's really broken up about the death of her wife. So why would she immediately start dating again? But mm -hmm. like, oh, so I guess we can't have him been dating for a year. Um, but like four months is like, Judy Greer, you've been in a relationship with an asshole for four months who doesn't who doesn't treat you well. And, and the whole movie is like, but can they get back together? And it's like, no, it's four months. And it's like, I understand all of the stereotypes about lesbians, but come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is not like some great love. This is specifically not a... Uh, and, and Judy Greer, I think, is miscast because she's too old. Like, I think this character needs to be more naive and like needs to be yeah. someone in her like early 30s you can definitely be in your in, like 40-ish and working on a phd that yeah. is like not unusual but right there's supposed to be this like almost like like heroin worship kind of kind of thing yeah. where it's like it's like oh my god you're this great poet um i, I have a much kinda... i have a much less nice word in my notes which is is judy greer a groupie <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think that's that's what it's, it's trying to imply. But for someone who otherwise seems to have everything together, it's there's no indication as to why she would be so like beholden to Olivia. It really doesn't have much of a character at no, all. No. Um. So we have one. We open with the scene where I'm like, this is such a strange scene because they're si simultaneously trying to explain 
Lily Tomlin's career for the past four years and have a breakup at the same time. Yeah. And you just don't buy these characters as people yeah. and you don't buy the relationship as anything that ever had anything good in it. And then Lily and, Tomlin immediately says the nastiest thing she can think of. Yeah. The, the character Elle is just trying to hurt her so she goes away. Like right. it's it's not necessarily like, oh, that's what naturally comes to her is to call her a footnote. She's specifically trying to hurt right. her feelings. But still, right. it's like... You see and, that and she, scene. And I guess she she also is trying to say something. Where she's trying to say, put our relationship into perspective. Mm -hmm. Try and see it. But but it does come out in this very mean way. Right. And But I I, th I feel like this is a movie that is like, uh, it might seem a little skeezy if she's dating someone who's very obviously younger than her daughter. Yeah. So like, yeah. We, we should cast someone who's 40. Yeah. Um, but but like beautiful and youthful. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful and has lots of youthful energy. And hey, that's Judy Greer. They, they should they should have cast uh, Sarah Paulson because not only is Sarah Paulson a wonderful actor, um, lesbian, uh -huh. uh, she also likes the older ladies. Oh really? I didn't know <laughs> yes, that. Yes. Yes. If if you if you look at her and her uh at her personal life uh section on her on her Wikipedia, it's like oh she dates a lot of women who are old, much older than her. Interesting. Okay. Uh, also, Sarah Paulson seems like someone who's perpetually in college. She has the look of someone who's been in a library recently. Yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> um, but at, at any rate, like, so I think like instantly the very first scene you see a relationship, you're like, well, I don't have any investment of them two getting together. That's I'm uh, hopefully that's just the end of that. And it's yeah. like, oh no, that's kind of like what we're hinging the structure of the movie on, other yeah. than our uh, weird chapter headings that make no sense. <laughs> it's another yeah, weird thing this I guess movie it's, does. it's supposed to give it this like touch of of the literary. <laughs> I guess not. Didn't even think about that. I was, I just thought it was like they didn't know how to edit two yeah, scenes it, together. Yeah, or it's like, oh, she's a poet, so it's like a chapbook. Oh yeah, thing. and it's like, oh, here's the titles. But that they, must be they, it. Yeah, but they're. They're very... Uh... You just see a chapter that's like Ogre. Yeah. And then it's like Sam Elliott. And then you have a chapter that says Dragonfly. And it's like, oh, they mentioned the Dragonfly poem. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not very well uh, fleshed out. There's nothing vivid that gives you anything to like hold on to. I mean, besides the fact that that is somewhat the structure of the movie is it's like a like a sort of episodic quest to to get this money together it's funny that you that you mentioned um you know they've only been in in a relationship for four months and there's like that lesbian stereotype around like you know um like like gelling together and getting very committed very fast because then you go into the fact that like lily tomlin uh doesn't have six hundred dollars to help out sage and then they're going around to all of her to all of Lily Tomlin's friends who also can't really help like they give her a little bit of money but it's no and that's like another lesbian stereotype is that no one has any fucking money oh is it yes. I did <laughs> <laughs> I guess we did cover that on Addicted to Fresno yeah check yeah. out the previous episode <laughs> On addicted so, to Fresno for that. So it's like, oh well, we were trying to, we were trying to, you know, put women at the forefront, and and, and here we are. <laughs> Would they be shopping? I don't know. <laughs> so what do women? See number one. Here's a terrible relationship that ended. I go good, I guess. Here's scene number two. Here's an extremely low stakes plot for a movie, which is I want to get an abortion, but I don't want my mom to yell at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as, as I said before, Obvious Child, I think, is a great movie about someone getting an abortion. Um, and that's that's even lower stakes because this movie does kind of go out of the way to be like, well, maybe you have some 
some with some misgivings about this character Sage getting an abortion. But here's the guy who got her pregnant. He's fucking terrible. He's just the worst. What's the name of the guy? Cam. He's 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 Sid from Descendants. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's but, like, but he's not here's even, a guy to just be fucking horrible. But he's not even Sid from Descendants because Sid at least is like somewhat charming in a doofy way, and this guy is just the, the movie fucking does worst. the the Descendants does posit that Sid is charming in a doofy way. You are yeah. you are correct. And yeah, this guy is just here to just be like direct all of your rage at this as it's at this dickhead yeah yeah where, where it's it's like it's like she tells him that that she's pregnant and the first thing he says is well how do you know that it's mine you know, you know he might as well hold up a sign that says boo me yeah you know I, I think a big another big problem for this is so we, we talked about Judy Greer's character Olivia doesn't really have any depth even even in the last scene where her parents are there for dinner yeah you, when you see your parents it doesn't really give you any insight into like oh that's where Olivia comes yeah. from that explains blank it's like no she's just kind of doesn't have much of a character and then like Sage is in the movie for pretty much the entire movie and she also really doesn't have a lot of dimension to her. No. And the scene with her uh, dipshit boyfriend could have been the scene where you go like, oh, I guess she's like that kind of girl who would do this, that. And like, you don't really get any kind of insight to her because you don't yeah. really get any insight into like what she was attracted to or like what their relationship was. Like his book, his, the, what he does is very believable to me. I extremely believe there are a multitude of teenage boys who, when confronted with the potential responsibility of an unwanted pregnancy, immediately go into denial mode and yeah. act like they were never even in a relationship with this person. Oh, you're here? That's cool, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. Like, that all makes perfect sense to me. I guess. But, like, it is a wasted storytelling opportunity. Yeah, like, like why... like. Like, why is she with him? I'm she does she doesn't seem to be like like what does this guy have going for him? Like you you can't you're pretty. You're pretty and blonde. <laughs> what are you doing? Look, there are so many pretty young women dating dickheads. That's like it's the the issue the issue is less like it's not believable, but it, but just like it just there's nothing there. There's nothing yeah. there for you to grasp onto. And it's like and that, and when you have a movie that's under eighty minutes, and like the first three scenes don't do much to either endear you to characters or to really elaborate who they are, yeah. Like the only person with any real dimension is L, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that is, it's just like it's just I, I just get the sinking feeling where it's like it's a it's a short movie. It doesn't get super heavy. There's nothing about it that's super embarrassing. There's nothing, there's no scenes that I'm like, oh my God, when is it going to end? This is terrible. I don't hate this movie the way I've hated other movies we've covered or anything, but it is just like, it's just a bunch of nothing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and again, like, you know, uh, a big Andrew Buljowski fan, big fan of like some of these mumblecore movies. Like Mm -hmm. you can do low stakes, you can do like low key performances, you can do movies about people just hanging out or whatever. Yeah. But like the, but when you cast it with like, Hollywood names so they don't have that sort of weird offbeat energy and you're not like it just doesn't it's just like oh you shot in LA so and you don't get a sense of like the flavor of LA it's like I guess there's a feminist coffee shop yeah yeah (laughs) that serves quesadillas (laughs) 
the the, the one character who I really I locked onto. There's quesadillas in my safe space. Just saying. The the uh, the one character I really locked onto in this movie and was like I relate to this person was uh, Colleen Camp as the customer in the coffee shop who just wants her quesadilla <laughs> yeah, and yeah. she's just sort of like trying to be polite and not interrupt this incredibly personal argument happening yeah. in the store. But at the same time, this quesadilla really wouldn't be that good without the hot sauce, and you're holding the hot sauce. I thought you were gonna say that the character you related to most was uh, was John Cho's little cameo as the That's, barista, I, I, where he where he just kind of comes up and he's just like, "Please stop yelling out about abortion in my coffee house," and then Lily Tomlin like freaks out and pours her coffee all over his shoes. And she's like, "You said it's drip coffee. All coffee is drip coffee." And then later, Sage is like, "French press isn't drip." Interesting, <laughs> whatever. I John Cho is very funny. Um, there's one specific choice he makes that I love, which is he plays the entire scene in the like uh, faux customer service privacy squat. Yes, <laughs> which is just so fucking funny. The like, there, it's literally a tiny coffee shop with three people who are within six feet of each other, but yeah. he's still just like trying to put on the veneer of like, yeah. I'm handling this professionally yeah. and discreetly. I am not the one escalating. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm squatting down. I am basically in surrender mode. Don't, yeah. please don't take this as aggressive. That was very funny. Um, I don't confront C- customers can customers can shout about whatever horrible political things they want. Like sure. I, I listen to horrible right wing shit all day and like, I'm not going to start telling people yeah. to take it outside, yeah. um, <laughs> but it's, but he owns the place. It's not my coffee shop. Uh, well, yeah. He was probably the owner. I think you're right. If he was just like, like working for an hourly wage, he'd probably just roll his eyes and, and go back to, you know, restacking the napkins or whatever. Right. But um, I, I do like the idea I, the, um, I do like the sense of embarrassment to the, I don't necessarily want my customers to know that where they're getting their lattes is where abortions used to happen. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just like, I don't care how pro-choice you are. You probably don't like that probably isn't a bonus. If you go to a coffee shop yeah. and find out <laughs> that it used to have a ton of medical procedures happening. And you're like, I just thought it was easier to clean the floors with the drain there. I didn't realize. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. So he's just like, shut up about the abortions. Why do you think I got such a good deal on this place? Yeah, you know, I have to say, even even as someone who is like extremely pro-reproductive rights... I think I would lose my appetite a little bit yeah. if if it was just like oh a lot of a lot of medical procedures happened in yeah. this room like not necessarily abortions even if it was like oh this used to be like a dentist's office I would be a little weirded out I think but you know. the vibe if you believe in vibes uh all medical facilities have bad vibes yeah <laughs> no, yeah, no one's fucking thrilled to be getting an abortion or getting a root canal or or whatever but uh at any rate i i did relate to john Cho, but colleen camp uh fun fact she's the uh sexy french maid in clue she's the customer <gasps> who's sitting up. down they don't do her they, she doesn't do any sexy wiggling in this movie but that is <laughs> that is who colleen camp is and I was, cause oh I was looking at her and I was like, she's really funny. Is she like from UCB or something? And I looked her up and I'm like, what the fuck? She's a vet. She's a vet. <laughs> um, but, but the, but the actual like important characters of, of Judy and Sage and Olivia, mm-hmm. um, those are all like just really underwritten. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't, you don't get a lot from... I mean, especially from Sage, because it does seem like she is the 
the foil to Elle where it's like, you know, she's, she's this younger woman. She probably represents a lot of, uh, what Elle might regret about her own relationship with her family. Um, she is in a position we that you find out later in the movie that Elle herself was in before Roe v. Wade. Um, Though I will say on that front, there's like a weird thing where, what again, it's like the movie is trying to give you a little guided tour on like the abortion rights and why they're important uh-huh. and, they're, and a little bit of the history and everything. I do not believe that Elle has is totally unaware of the changes in abortion technology from when she had one to now. Like when you just think about the people she would socialize with and everything, like she, she's actually, she like, she immediately distrusts this doctor who's at this clinic and is like, don't you dare hurt her. I'm going to come for you if you hurt her. And it's like that she's responding to her own trauma of of like, I, I don't, I don't think she's at all thinking about, um, like you know her I mean because because obviously like later later in that scene she has like kind of a weird conversation with the doctor where they're like talking shop about abortions and she's like oh is this going to be a DNC and they're like no it's going to be a whatever the other one is that they made us learning in Catholic school so like when they said <laughs> DNC I was like oh right DNC that's the thing that I was like made to be terrified of when I was 15 years old <laughs> good job right <laughs> um but but yeah I I think that is pretty much I, She says so many like kind of cringy things in the movie about abortion. But when it becomes obvious that that it's like she just had a really that she that when she was young, she wanted an abortion. She was able to access an abortion. But because it was illegal at the time, it was like a very traumatizing experience Mm -hmm. for her. And she hasn't processed that trauma uh, and it's so it's coming out with her saying like kind of kind of fucked up things like she says to to say she says this is something you will think about at some moment for every day for the rest of your life. That's true. I, d- I did go. I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure everyone reacts differently, but it's definitely true I, I for mean, some people. Yeah. Yeah. For some people. And, and I'm sure that, you know, it, it's I don't want to say that it's that that it's like deciding to get your eyebrows waxed. But I think that there are studies that prove that most people who access abortions feel you know don't have like these like lingering negative feelings they feel like they feel relief they feel like it was something that they needed to do yeah late and then later in the movie sage is feeling emotional about having gotten an abortion and Elle says to her if you don't cry about this what the hell are you going to cry about which again is like are you do, do you do you think abortions are bad? Like I I, I don't know I I just I don't I don't like, like the. Does this movie have the same thing about? Uh, does this movie feel the same way about abortions that like a right wing war movie feels about war crimes, which is like it's terrible that we need to do them, but we need to win the war on terror, and yeah, so it's like exactly. we have to justify Jack Bauer torturing someone or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. it's like we accept that torture is is not pretty, but it is sometimes. And it's like is is that they think it's that's the safe level moral level is an abortion? Yeah. And and, and I mean, again, do you I, think there's a sense of fence sitting? Do you um, think it's like if we had everyone? Because again, you brought up Obvious Child. That's a movie yeah. that doesn't play that game at all. No, no, no. It 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 doesn't. It is like it is like an abortion rom com. It is like it is like it's a bright sunny New York and it's a beautiful day and and here's your your quirky fun character who's gonna get an abortion and I, that's kind of why I like it because right. because there is no 
there there is little to no friction yeah and it's just sort of nice to be like yeah it could be like that maybe that's what it's like to live in amsterdam or wherever the hell um wouldn't that be nice? Um, and, and and I I will say as someone who has a uterus uh, but has never had an abortion, that's why I'm kind of hesitant to be like, well, it's 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 showing a way that that people don't react after they ha-, you know I don't want to say that's true. I'm sure there's all sorts of reactions. Y- yeah, it's I mean it's, I'm sure there are people who believe that the moral act they have committed is is the equivalent of murder but they did it anyway and then they live the rest of their lives with that internalized because because people people carry around the stigma they're taught to carry around you know yeah exactly i think there there are things that i've done in my life where i feel you know completely justified and happy about those decisions but because i was raised to think it was the wrong thing to do and even though i don't believe that anymore i still did have this emotional reaction afterwards of like oh my god i'm going to hell and then i had to kind of like sit with that and unpack that just because it's like that's what that's like the message that i was given very heavily when i was you know an impressionable child right um and i i think i think with l kind of um I, I think with with L having that reaction and those kind of um, the the things that she's saying and the way that she is like framing abortion, um, it just seems like she has so much that she hasn't unpacked, which is so strange because y- you would think that like with the community that she's in and and presumably the kind of like activism that she's done that she's had a lot of experiences with abortion beyond her own i guarantee that l has sat at a poetry jam and heard approximately forty five thousand poems about abortion yeah yeah it's like oh she's been a poet since the 70s and like that's the sphere of poetry she lives in yeah like you're gonna hear a a countless number of poems about people's abortions yeah (laughs) yes yeah and she she does mention that you know she's lived on college campuses her whole life and all this kind of stuff so and you would think even even if she did feminist activism like so much of that is around reproductive justice right where you think you know she might have done you know I mean, who who knows who knows but she's had so much time to get past this like you, you know and I, and it it just makes me sad for her it makes me really sad for her and i don't i don't feel like the movie gives that enough space uh Maybe it's because if there's the decision to give her a dead wife, and maybe if if her partner was alive, Violet would say would you know give some context. The only context that we get is oh god, fucking Carl, motherfucking. You want some boiled corn? <laughs> I boiled some corn for you. Yeah, they got fucking Sam Elliott to play Carl, uh, who is the uh, the obviously the the richest person besides uh judy that they go to to try and get six hundred dollars i love that uh when you when i when i read the cast list and i'm like sam elliott plays her ex-husband or whatever uh-huh. i'm like oh that's so funny the lesbian used to be married to a cowboy or whatever and he is like 100 percent like i'm a yuppie and i'm a family man and i i love uh i love bacon and uh cooking and uh, i love all of my grandchildren <laughs> so look at like- my modern house <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> at one point, like they they play with that too. They're, one of my favorite jokes in the movie is Sam Elliott goes, "I'm gonna go outside and work on my Jeep," and then it's like a Power Wheels because he has that. grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that he's, was a really he's changing good the battery little... in a Power Wheels. Very yeah, good. Yeah, that's that... like that's a good Sam Elliott redirect. Yeah, I think that was maybe my favorite joke in the movie, especially because when he said, "I'm gonna work on my Jeep," I kind of rolled my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was that was really but, good. But but tell us about the Sam Elliott and this scene, oh, the ogre so, chapter of yeah, the, of the he, movie. So so they go to see Carl, and Carl has a beautiful home in Topanga Canyon, and he's, you know, he's Sam Elliott, so he's just, you know, you know, hale and, and hearty and, and craggy and careworn, you know, um, and, and he invites them in. And they sit down and and, uh, and he and Elle start reminiscing and then uh, he asks her for a kiss and they kiss and you're just like, oh, that's weird. Why did he want to kiss her? Because there's no chemistry there. What? That is such a... that it, I. Anyway, so, so you find out that he and Elle were married when they were both very young and she was not out... I guess, or well, as she describes it at that point in her life, she hated herself, you know, and, and she, and I guess this would have been like the early sixties. So she felt, you know, she married him and, and she loved him, but you know, she had these feelings for women and, and it wasn't right for her to be married to him. And she got pregnant and she had the abortion. Um, and she left him and it's, uh, 50 years later yeah. and he hasn't forgiven her and he has been remarried and he has children and he has grandchildren but he is just so mad about the one that got away he is just fucking pissed off that he does not have grandchild number 12 or whatever or child number 5 or that just made me so angry and then yes so then he is just getting so like well, sorry. L L initially doesn't want to tell him what they need the money for. Um and he is just getting more suspicious and more um sort of angry, especially after she she kisses him because he asks her to. He says, "I'll give you the money if you kiss me." And she says, "What the hell for old time's sake?" Well, first she goes, "A peck." And he goes, "No, a real kiss." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so then they kiss. Why does this movie need to sexually humiliate Lily Tomlin? What? <laughs> what? Yeah, what, why, what about this script? Is like, Man. yeah, she's a lesbian, but like, can't we have a moment where it's like, she has to, you know, we 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 prove how much she wants to help her granddaughter by her own sexual humiliation? Yeah, like, I guess it's such. And then there's like the scene where her granddaughter like peeks through the window and sees them kissing, yeah, and, and just like, sort of like, Whoa. I'm yeah. not even gonna. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna approach the subject um, later. I'm gonna pretend I never saw grandma make out with that old guy <laughs> um and then he he asks her if she'll have sex with him and she says no and she gets mad because he like immediately escalates what he wants from her uh in order to give her money. And then he gets mad and he's like, well, you just showed up out of nowhere and you're asking me for money. And obviously it's obvious that the $500 is nothing to this man. Yeah. And he's like big, gorgeous. I, 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 I just love like the architecture of the West coast. It's like this big modernist home with these giant fucking windows that I would 
kill someone to live in. His um, view is 15 canyons, and from every different yeah, angle, there's yeah. a different beautiful canyon to look at. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, so... you know what really turns me on? Yeah. I'm a 74-year-old man, and when I see a 70-year-old lesbian who's real surly and doesn't like me much, yeah, it really gets me in a love-making mood. <laughs> yeah, and, and then so... So he's he gets uh, very adamant that they tell him why they need the money. And then without Sage's permission, Elle says, Sage is pregnant and she, we need money for her abortion. So way to, way to respect her boundaries and her privacy. And then Carl just... I think she does that a couple times throughout the movie. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. wait she's for... She's like, here's, here's my pregnant here's my. She's pregnant sort of just carting Sage. I think that might actually... I think Sage passive uh, nature is pr- sort of the main reason why we don't get a lot of ins into her... Insights yeah. into her character is yeah. because she, she usually has her grandma speaking for her. Carl finds out that this is money for an abortion and he just gets so righteously angry. He, he is pro-life. He is oh. Sam Elliott. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if Sam Elliott's pro-life, but probably. He gives pro-life, as the kids say. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, yeah, if Sam, if Sam Elliott is not pro-life, he is definitely photoshopped into memes that like pro-life people are putting up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, he's anti-gay cowboy. We know that for sure. He's anti-gay cowboy? Oh, that was a whole thing when the Heart of a Dog came out. Uh, he was like... Uh, Mark, he was on Mark Maron's podcast. And uh-huh. they asked him, what do you think about Heart of a Dog? You're wanting a bunch of Westerns. Well, that piece of shit. And he's like, gay cowboys didn't exist. I'm friends with a lot of cowboys and there were, none of them were gay. Mm. They're a statistical anomaly. I accept the gay people, whatever they do behind the privacy of their own doors. But for some strange reason, never been a gay cowboy and the gay cowboy movies are shit. <laughs> These were family men. Family men ain't gay. I, it was like it was like a whole thing, and then it, people were mad at, at Sam Elliott, and it's but it's like one of those things where it's like uh, he's fucking seventy six. Like yeah, <laughs> he he doesn't he doesn't know what it means in an old cowboy movie when two young handsome cowboys right. uh, exchange guns and lovingly stroke each other's pistols and shoot cans together. Sam Elliott watching Red River is like this is the way it used to be and the way it should be. Yeah. Sam Elliott, a babe in the woods. <laughs> Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. I'll tell you what, that Montgomery Cliff's got a real pretty chin. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> Sam Elliott was having strange and confusing feelings about oh. Montgomery Cliff. So I'm going to get all my aggression out by boiling some more corn. <laughs> hey, has there ever been a Western with Rock Hudson? <laughs> How about that Tab Hunter? <laughs> So then he gets up on his fucking high horse and will not give them the money uh, for for to help Sage out. Um, so that character. So th- this character is where I went. I don't I think this movie. I, I think this movie is a made by someone who is vehemently pro-choice, uh-huh. but B made by someone who wants people who are not pro-choice to not feel bad after they pay money to see his movie. And yeah. like that character feels like such an out because they give him so much more grace and like dignity than he needs. Yeah. Like he gets yeah. so much more depth than so many other important characters. Yeah. This one random dude she was married to 50 years ago yeah. is like, it is like, is that why the abortion was so traumatic for her? Cause like her great shame was disappointing her husband. Cause she, it's the implication is not just that, uh, she had an abortion. It's that they were married, and then yeah. one day she ran off, and she never came back. And yeah. he later found out that that she had she an, had an yeah, abortion. And, but like, yeah. that was the end of their marriage. Like, bad thing to do to a person. Like, I you mean, know, not great. 
It's a bad. It's a bad thing to do to a servicemen. I'm not saying she shouldn't have gotten yeah. the abortion. I, yeah. I'm not saying she should have gotten his permission or yeah. that the order of events had to be she asked him or told him and then did it. I'm just saying, like doing that all in a single swoop. It's like not an. It's not a nice thing to do a person. But like, why is Sam Elliott the person we're caring about? He's kind of a monster the way he's just like, like he's like he comes on really he so sweet as sugar at first yeah and it's because he's like here comes my apology yeah or whatever yeah, and yeah, yeah. and then like when he feels that the apology isn't coming he starts getting like really shitty and passive aggressive and he's like trying to push her into being more he's trying because he knows that she you know loves conflict and he's trying yeah. to push her into conflict so he can vent his feelings without being the one to start it mm. so he's like trying to like but the way he does that is just like you're gonna make love to me now and it's like what the fuck is this movie at this scene also i'm, I'm watching it and i'm like why not just lie to him right why do you have to be honest to him like like he's not part of your life anymore um you obviously you you obviously believe believe that um that 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 getting like necessary medical procedures is more important than like his feelings yeah. so why not just fucking lie right. to him about sage, what you need the money for sage uh, some drug dealers are after sage we need to get yeah. $500 to get them off her back yeah <laughs> like whatever just just fucking lie lie new lie. new new box set of yellowstone just came out <laughs> Ooh, that's a good show <laughs> <laughs> um if i had to guess about paul white's uh political opinion when coming up with this move with when writing this movie it would be that you know abortion should be legal and accessible but maybe there's some gray area and maybe it's not always maybe, maybe not everyone wins when someone gets an abortion shouldn't we think about that no 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 fucking no <laughs> it, it, it's it's like um, if I like, if I'm too pro-abortion, is Netflix gonna stream this? You know, yeah, like yeah, that. That to me yeah. is the. This is a person who has been in the film industry and who started his career like doing industry as industry moves. You don't write yeah. Nutty Professor to the clumps because like that's your that's your film passion. You do that <laughs> because you are a professional screenwriter and that's and that's a job and that's and he does not seem like so, he seems like someone who aims to make movies that slot nicely into different markets. We all have a good time laughing with the clumps, but has anyone thought about the uh, the, the, the healthcare costs of obesity in this country? <laughs> you see the clumps? That was a good movie. <laughs> Just, I spent 15 minutes today working on my Sam Elliott impression. I'm trying to get trying to get some dividends it's, it's from work, that. It's working out. It, 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 there's little shades of Elvis in there. <laughs> well, well, you know there might be some of shades Elvis. of Elvis. Uh, my favorite Sam Elliott movie, by the way, is Frogs, the one where he fights the killer frogs. <laughs> oh, is he in that one? I didn't yeah, know he's, that. He, he's, he's all, he wears all denim. It's the 70s, and he's like... Ray Moland, you got to get out of this house. They're going to kill you. These, these frogs, they're no good. And Ray Moland's like, oh, you don't have to tell me about frogs, boy. I, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a basic bitch because my, my favorite Sam Elliott movie is Big Lebowski. Yes. And I, I, think, I, think, I think that's why I do like the, I think the character is poorly conceived. Yeah. But like the casting of Sam Elliott is very good here. Um, until, the, until the, like, where, 
Like the thing about Sam Elliott is he is the most old fashioned masculine, masculine, old fashioned masculine man. Yeah. Um, but he has a warmth to him. He's not super taciturn. Yeah. Despite his voice, he isn't just like I only care about authority and justice. Da, da, da. Like he yeah. he is someone who you when you think about it, you think about him giving uh you know Jeff Bridges a sly little smile at the at the bar at the bowling alley. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like okay, this, this is this is someone who has the wisdom of experience. Uh, even if we don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, uh, I mean, I mean, also in this movie, it's like, okay, well, if if you're a grumpy lesbian and you're gonna, you know, have an ex husband to to hit up for some money and smoke a joint with, like, you, you could do worse. Sure, <laughs> you could do a lot worse. Sure. <laughs> um, something else that kind of bugged me about this movie is I feel like. It is just a string of indie film cliches. Sure. Uh, the one, the one that that really uh, the the one that that made that realization really come to light for me was uh, when Elle has this like her car. She has this <laughs> yeah. this like gorgeous vintage car that they're driving around in, and I kind of I kind of feel like like a funky old vehicle that you're taking a road trip even if the road trip's just around LA but like having having a funky old vehicle and it's like it's 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 chugging along it's 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 still moving though it hasn't broken down yet yeah. and uh, it's like it's it's struggling but she's in denial about the problems the car is having and then yeah. it's like and then eventually she can't deny the problems anymore and that's when she finally takes it to the mechanic and, yeah, and it is a representation like, of her own repression of of her grief and her and anger and Alan Alda's dead in the trunk and Alan Alda's dead. <laughs> Drug. Sorry, that's a little bit sunshine. <laughs> um, Alan Arkin. Fuck, I always... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's... Fuck. Everyone, I was... Oh, I'm going to have to edit that out. Is there a movie where Alan Alda is dead in a trunk? Is there one of those uh, late 90s Tarantino knockoffs where he's like some skeezy Hollywood producer that had shot in the first act and the rest of the movie, his body's in a trunk? I think it, I think that was actually in, in the first draft of the series finale of MASH. <laughs> percent of the fucking time i swear to god um yeah yeah so you know you have you have a funky old vehicle driving around even running into all different eccentric characters from the past yeah. is is very much a, a, an indie film cliche like like that's a way we go um I'm just going to think of one example. I don't need to follow no, that's fine. threes. This what is do you, a podcast. <laughs> what do you think about the scene with Laverne Cox as the tattoo artist? I think that because I look at it and I go, why is this in the movie? Yeah, I... other than the fact that it would be under seventy nine minutes if, the movie, <laughs> if it wasn't in the movie. Like, oh no, we can't get a Golden Globe for a short. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like like the very arbitrary scene of oh, here are the the colorful characters who are going to flesh out uh, what we know about the protagonist with uh, with their with their relationships. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like so Laverne Cox's character, it's it's pretty much made explicit that she's a trans woman. Yes. You, you know, Elle says, oh, we're going to go see my friend Deathy because she owes me 
$400 and then we find out that the reason is because back in the day she had a bum breast augmentation and she was sick and she needed to get it repaired and Elle paid for it and you get the sense of like she owed me she's not collecting interest on that that it was just you know they care about each other and she wanted her friend to to be okay right it didn't even occur to her to go get that $400 until like this very moment that she's like well I guess that's an option it's not my first option but that's I guess I'll try it yeah I think maybe it's supposed to tell you something about Elle as as someone who can be compassionate this was kind of before we were having the like turf dialogue right that, well, that's that's the thing was I was like, oh, is this movie like a little bit like ahead of the culture in that way of like we're going to make the all reaching like movie about feminism and like women's health care. And like one of those things about accessing women's health care is like trans women are women, too, and their health care needs are also precarious often. And like and like we're including this as like part of the larger narrative about this theme. Um, in order to like be this like because this is Laverne Cox right after Orange is the New Black yeah yeah but- so yeah this is when when Orange is the New Black was was big this was like season two or three or something um this was also the year after she was on the cover of Time yeah so um, so this a is a big thing so I feel like there was a time period where it was very exciting that it was like Laverne Cox she's a trans woman and she's in a big yeah. show and like she's she's getting on the magazine cover and like this is opening dialogues or whatever um and but like there it was maybe not necessarily like it hadn't yet uh hit a point where uh it was becoming mainstream enough that people that the intense backlash that we feel now yeah was happening so like maybe this wasn't them sticking out their neck as much I, as it feels but it was still a little like oh 2015 all right i think that you know honest honestly the the cynic in me yeah. wants to believe that this was an attempt by whites to kind of say like oh look at the look at the great things that that feminism has brought and it's like she has this this like younger trans woman friend and and you know even though she's like this you know older you know white cis woman um and and they're still friends and and they you know they care about each other and um you know she she's not transphobic uh because she because she's a feminist because it kind of seems like that's you know, you know, and it's like, oh, like, like the, like the queer community. Uh, and I, I just, I just think it was like a, a assumption about what this character would be like completely lacking in nuance. I mean, she does. So a lot of criticisms that are, um, that are made against second wave feminism, and Elle is um, explicitly a second wave feminist in this movie. Um, a lot of criticisms are that uh, that second wave feminism uh, focused on the needs and um, the viewpoints of, um, you know, uh, like like white cisgender, um, usually straight women um usually like like middle class you know academia that that there was that very narrow focus mm-hmm. um how do we get women in the workplace how do we yeah, elevate women to yeah or like job positions and well, yeah jobs or, and or like you know or like 
the idea of like lesbian separatism or, um, you know, at, at this time, feminist theory, um, there was a lot, not, not exclusively, but there was a lot of like, um, gender, uh, um, like biological essentialism in mm, views of sure. gender. Um, you know, for instance, there's that scene where, uh, where Elle decides like, oh, I have these rare first edition books and they mean a lot to me, but I'm going to sell them uh, and I'm going to make the sacrifice for Sage. Um, and, you know, and she is, and she's like, how do you not know who Betty for Dan is? How do you not know who Jermaine Greer is? And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking like, why are you all the way at Betty for Dan's ass? She was like, she got all the lesbians kicked out of now. Does Deathy know that you're such a fan of noted transphobe Jermaine Greer? Is that something that, that's come up when she's, when she's giving you your little dragonfly tattoo? You have that conversation with her? You know, it, it just it just felt very, um, very surface, like 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 the way that I go on Wikipedia to prepare for these episodes. Sure. Paul Weiss went on Wikipedia to prepare to write the character of L. Yes. Um, and and for, and for sure we have we've all been there or whatever. But like you're going to get caught. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, don't wanna... I didn't catch that. But uh, Reg is here to catch that. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I got to I got to use the, the, the women's studies degree for something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I don't want to say that it is necessarily like 100 percent of of feminists of that age, because there were there were transgender women you know, in that time, there were like lesbian feminists who were accepting of transgender women as women. Um, there were, you know, black feminists like, like Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks. Um, and, and, you know, you, you also have Elle where you see that her, her deceased wife, Violet was a black woman. So there's probably more nuance to her experience than you would expect from, you know, feminist critic of the second wave. But I mean, what movie is going to go into that the way I want to go? I want them to none. It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, maybe anyway. if they somehow found a way to not have nine minutes of the movie be dedicated to Sam Elliott and how he feels, there would have been a yeah. little bit more of yeah. that. I don't know. Or if like the scene where you get like, who is this woman who like built an entire cafe around female supremacy? Like the Bonobo Cafe is the theme because it's yeah. like Bonobos are apes who are, you know, a female domin dominated society and they, they all they do is masturbate all day. Yeah, that seems interesting. Like, like who's this person? Yeah, yeah. What, what's her deal i mean and then it's like yeah it's elizabeth it's like, pena elizabeth pena is wonderful what, I, what else has she been in uh, I, I, my favorite is lone star lone star is one of my favorite movies and okay. she's great in lone star um i'd have to look up like a wikipedia that's uh -huh. the thing that always comes to mind but like i didn't even know it was her partially because this is a very late period she she died before the release of the movie uh -huh. um but also uh just because she has nothing to do in this movie yeah um, yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, it's like it's like they show up and expecting that these first edition books are gonna, you know, La Bamba. That's right. She was big in La Bamba. Oh, she's right, in La Blue Bamba. Steel. She's the uh, she plays um, what's his name's girlfriend in Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Uh huh. Um. Anyway. Um. Anyway, more of her. You know, yeah, like then yeah. it's then it's like that conversation could be you could like you could get that detail in when she's trying to sell her these first editions. Yeah, or 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 there's even a moment where it's like, well, what about your academic friends? Oh, they're also stingy. 
well, obviously Carl's pretty fucking stingy right. and judgmental. Why would you go to? And, and I kind of feel like, oh, if it was like, you know, oh, the academic friend, then maybe we sit down and have an argument and there's right. like some fleshing out not, of like, and it's what like, is your, not even your beliefs. That, not even that this movie needs to be didactic and like the way like what like we're pitching is almost like the feminist equivalent of like a Spike Lee movie where it's like the Spike Lee movie is going to have the characters yeah. like hash out the issue and explicit in like graphic detail. Um, but like, but there's just like, what what does this movie have in place of that? You know, yeah. like this is an option you could have gone with, or you could have had these characters be more interesting. Like I like like the inclination to cast Judy Greer as this woman who, and she's like kind of too old to be playing this character. Yeah. And it's like, what if you made? What if you like open the movie with like? God, Lily Tomlin kind of she's kind of scuzzy, like dating this this younger woman. Like, what yeah. if you actually could be a little thorny with it and like a little bit like poke the audience and go like well what do you think about old like where do you think it becomes unethical to date younger people you know like yeah. you you could be a little more provocative and like sketch out more interesting characters but this is like the ultimate thing you need for this movie to do is for my mom to watch it and be like oh that was cute I mean, my mom won't watch it because my mom, my mom voted for Donald Trump because there was an open Supreme Court seat so that Roe v. Wade would be revoked. So like, Good not job. my mom specifically, yeah. but the kind, you want the kind of vibe and the kind of tone that just some random ass, uh, no thoughts person, <laughs> that's not, that's not my mother, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, the, uh, you, you want, you want to, you don't want to push anyone away by making them think too hard. You want people yeah. to go like, oh, that's the movie where it's like, she's a grandma, but she's not like Betty White. She's got like, she's kick-ass. She's yeah. a kick-ass grandma. She's got tattoos. She swears. Yeah. And like at, at the end of every scene, you kind of have to be like, yeah. And she's kind of kick-ass and she kind of speaks her mind and she, you know, <laughs> she's an old lady. So she doesn't have any fucks left to give. Um, I think the tattoos also kind of drove me a little nuts because you have Elle who is a poet and that is where her notoriety comes from is her poetry so you think that she would have uh I mean I, I guess there's there's all types of poetry you know some of it's very minimalist and very straightforward but her tattoos are so uninteresting where it's like you find out that like her most famous poem was about a dragonfly and she has a dragonfly tattoo. You you see later that she has uh her her dead wife's name tattooed on her A relatively recent dragonfly tattoo I would assume. Like that's not something she got in the 70s. It if... looked really good. Right? Yeah, it, didn't, it, was it didn't look like, faded. It didn't look No, no, it, and it was a very intricate design which you don't usually see in older also, tattoos. Also it's like she we she is a character who's like I'll get a circle tattooed on my arm for no real reason, just so I can think during it. It's like, oh wow, she must just get a lot of tattoos. Yeah, you see her in the shower; she it's has like, like her... four at tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 very yeah. Um, and then she yeah, and then she has like her wife's name, Violet, tattooed on her wrist. And and I'm thinking to myself, her name's a flower. Why wouldn't you just get like the actual flower as a tattoo? Like I don't know, you're a creative person. Why do your tattoos suck? <laughs> I'm not that creative. My yeah. tattoos are awesome. It's one of the- <laughs> like, like what, what, what's your excuse? It's true. Um, I, 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 and then it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you can't, like, this is just the limitations of movies, but like whenever you set up, like a character is a great artist and you have to, at some point reveal what their art is. It's like, yeah. Oh shit. I wrote a, I wrote a character who's a great poet, but I'm not a great poet. How do I write the great poetry? The character. Yeah, and yeah. She, she just get, they, they mostly put it aside. She gets a couple of her lines quoted back to her, but I heard that and I'm like, that doesn't sound like a great poem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
the, that's the best line in that poem, the famous poem, the dragonfly <laughs> poem, which is like you have your arms wrapped around me and you I feel your teeth in my neck. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what you remember from college. OK. Uh, <laughs> um. Um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I think, I think that the, the, the main drawback of this movie is just that the, the, the characters and who they are and how they show us who they are isn't thought out very well at all, especially for this material. And I think, I think uh, that it could also be a byproduct of like, this is a very low budget movie. Like that's Lily Tomlin's car. Um, the director stunt drove like we watched like a little special feature on the uh-huh. DVD like he was talking about oh yeah like there are a couple shots where I was the one stunt driving the car and he's like the I think Sam Elliott's home is literally the director of American Pie's home that's <laughs> if you wanted to know uh, what uh, Jason Biggs fucking at an apple pie will get you it yeah, will get was, you that home say, in Topanga know, Canyon God bless <laughs> yeah um, that could be clumps money we don't know <laughs> that might have been the clumps money he goes I never touch my American Pie money he's like Jay Leno um, <laughs> Um, but like this does feel like a movie that like maybe came together too quickly and it's like there wasn't enough time for rehearsals there weren't enough rewrites on the script you know like maybe if he spent another year really letting it simmer this would have been a movie that had a lot more shades drawn in and Mm -hmm. like the characters would have better dynamics like Judy Greer and Lily Tomlin I have always thought Lily Tomlin is one of those actors who has perfect chemistry with everyone she's paired with. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that comes from the fact that she's in Robert Altman movies. So you'll get seen like uh, in a single movie, you'll get her paired with like four wildly different characters. Like you mm-hmm. watch Lily Tomlin in shortcuts and she's like so locked in and emotionally engaged with whoever she is talking to in any given moment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sometimes that's an actor like Tom Waits. And sometimes that's an actor like Lily Taylor. And in both cases, it's like fucking tremendous because Lily Tomlin has amazing chemistry with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she, her chemistry with her and Judy Greer, it's like that first scene had me going, good, get out of here. Like this is, there's nothing to salvage here. This relationship yep. is, is terrible. And like they don't seem to really be locking in. Like none of their scenes really work too well. No, they and really don't. I, I, you don't get a lot of history in terms of like, well, what kind of grandma was the famous poet? Like she, you know, yeah. like she offers to make her tea, you know, and then she's baking cookies later. It's like, is that the kind of grandma she was? Was she like yeah, really embracing she... this like super like uh, mid-century idea of like granny in an apron baking you cookies and pouring you a cup of tea? Or it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like well, yeah. If she if she doesn't know what other kind of grandma to be than that kind of grandma, there's there's got to be something more interesting. Like at least have her burn the cookies. Right. She's obviously not someone who bakes cookies. Right. Like like go at or least maybe for she a- is, and that's something too. Or it's like her and Julia Garner have like no, you don't get the vibe that they know each other too yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't too. Uh, and maybe invested that's and in maybe that is like. You, I've been distant or like it, it was always Violet. Violet yeah. was always the, the doting grandma. And I was just yeah. sort of like uh, the, in the stereotypes of, of how these things work out. It's like, I was the more like masculine, like the grandfather who doesn't say a lot and does, is not yeah. very emotional and, and not, and is more withholding or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, you, there's just like, or Lily Tomlin is just like not connecting with people in this no, movie. No, I mean, she does have a lot of um, prickliness between her and Marsha Gay Harden, who plays her daughter. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and again, not a character who's written very well where it's, where it's like, oh, she's like a, she's like a girl boss and she's picked up, you know, the wrong things from feminism, but it's not in an interesting way. No, it's, like, it's, it's, just, like, it's just like her mom, her mom was a flighty poet. Yeah. So I don't know who Violet was, but, but presumably Violet had a similar temperament to, yeah. to Lily Tomlin, yeah. to, uh, to Elle. Um, but like her mom was like this flighty poet, so she rebelled in the opposite direction. Yeah. But she was just like someone raised by powerful women and understood herself to be powerful. And yeah, she is and she's, like she's like, like, a, the, like a pink power suit. She's on like a and... lawyer. She's like a high powered lawyer. She has this insane office, like yeah. multi level office. That... Yeah, and and like the, the like the the emasculated personal assistant uh, who is just like like slithering around behind her and. Yeah, none, none of it's very But like all of that you get in five seconds and then none of the subsequent... I mean, I'm I'm honestly like, I'm not a big Marsha Gay Harden fan. She's I've never fine, yeah. I've never been like, oh yeah, she was really good in... I've It's like she's the kind of actor I've seen in like 17 movies. Right. And I don't know if any of them were... Right. Well, no, no. She's she's very funny in Day Trippers, but other than that. Um, so like, you know, that's not necessarily... Mm-hmm. But that, again, like no one's particularly good in this movie. So you can't... And like, there's a... Plenty of great actors. There's yeah. Judy Greer in this movie, and she's—I think she's particularly bad in this movie. Really? Yeah. Um, I like—I think the comedy scene at the cafe where mm-hmm. they're like, she's holding the hot sauce or she's holding the quesadilla, mm-hmm. and she—and they're like sniping at each other. Like, I think she knows how to play that. Yeah. Um, she has a very funny moment where uh, she calls, she yells out "writer in residence" to uh, Lily t- uh, to Elle uh-huh. as she drives away. Is like that's her big insult. Yeah. Um, and that, that to me is like the way she does that is just like, okay, she, she has a little bit of self-awareness of how silly that is as an insult, but it's still like what came to mind because it's, it's like the one chink in, uh, Elle's armor and like the one sort of way she can needle her. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's like moments in that scene where I'm like, okay, yeah, that this is playing to Judy Greer's strengths. But generally I think like the opening and the closing of this movie, it's just like, this is not working. Yeah. The, the closing, which is supposed to be like the emotional button of, of the movie didn't, didn't really uh, draw me in at all. I, I had to stop and rewind and, and watch it again and be like, did I miss something? And I did not miss anything. Um, they, they have sort of a, a farewell kiss, which no, no emotional resonance for me. Uh-huh. Isla, that's that's her like sort of go to anecdote where she's like, oh, the, the you know of all the actors you had to kiss because we we've we frequently mentioned Judy Greer is frequently romantically paired with people. She's yeah. frequently having sex scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, and like Judy Greer's go to anecdote in like an interview when if someone asks like, oh yeah, who who was the best actor that you were paired with to kiss? She always goes Lily Tomlin, which is like that's, that's a fun that's yeah. a fun thing for a straight lady to say. Yeah, but also like oh, it didn't show up on screen. No, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> It didn't. I I watched it and I was like, oh boy, that's why that's why you shouldn't have straight people play gay and gay characters. And then then later on, I was like, wait a minute, Lily Tomlin's a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, they. I mean, Lily Tomlin did say in the interview that um, that Judy Greer was a lot of fun to work with, and yeah. and they really enjoyed their time together. But yeah, just just no no romantic chemistry. And I I just wanted to loop back around to um to us talking about how these characters aren't fully developed. Where it seems like this movie was part of a career. It is part of a career that's pretty, you know, you know, where 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 the the projects keep rolling in mm-hmm. for for Paul White's. Uh, I mean, 
he he wrote and directed Grandma, which was released in 2015, and his previous uh, directed film was 2013 with Admission, and he wrote a, a movie in 2012. Uh, and you know he was executive producing and uh, producing and all these kinds of things, and it kind of got me thinking about how um, I was recently reading an article uh, about uh, Tamara Jenkins, mm-hmm. uh, who is the writer director of Slums of Beverly Hills, and she's only had two other features in that time. The the writer of the article, I think it was it was uh, I want to say it was Keith Phipps. Um, um, posited that uh, because she because Tamara Jenkins has so much difficulty uh, getting a project greenlit that that's why her characters are so like well observed and developed and nuanced mm. uh, because she she's waiting yeah. 10 years between projects yeah well um, we're, we're both fans of the uh, Joel Petrikas movie Buzzard oh yeah and that was a low budget movie that getting the money together was difficult and so some of the best stuff in that movie is the uh, dynamic between Joshua Burgess and Joel Petrikas playing his semi yeah. sort of friend. Yeah. And like that came out of six months of rehearsals because it was just like they had nothing else to do. They couldn't move forward, but they wanted to keep working on it. And like all of those scenes <laughs> are the result of like them literally playing these characters for six months together. Joel Petrikas is the Mike Lee of finding fun things to do with corn chips. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's such a shame that time only moves in one direction because that would have looked so nice on the poster. Yeah, <laughs> ninety six Greers. I don't even know what that is. Ninety six Greers, but uh, Joel Petrakis is the Mike Lee of finding fun things to do with corn chips. Certainly uh, is a rave review. Yeah, and also just just finding like really clever things to do with a low with a low budget. Yeah. you know, you know, um, finding you know ways to make you know, uh, to, to make a, a lack of, uh, I mean, I mean, and I'm also thinking of, uh, of relaxer where the yeah. entire movie takes place in one room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's just finding like, like exciting things to do with a low budget, not just sort of like, Oh, let's try and, and stuff this in and, and make it look good because we only have like a million dollars to work with. Like, like, no, make it, make it look bad. Make it look restricted. Make right. it, make it look claustrophobic. There's nothing about grandma money. that is the least bit idiosyncratic yeah. or personal or offbeat. Like it is just Chris White's pointed the camera and he generally pointed it in the direction of the actors. And therefore he got the performances on camera and yeah. he said, all right, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, can we do another take? <laughs> okay okay i guess we're moving on um and yeah this is it, it's it's funny like i always think about like the the women who make really interesting cool movies uh uh-huh. who don't get a chance to do a follow-up or whatever yeah um, and like this is this used to be more of a problem and this is something that has been actively addressed and it hasn't fixed the issue but mm-hmm. it has altered the issue or whatever but in the old days there would be there was just like 20 Chris Whites working in Hollywood who yeah, are just Paul like Whites. constant or what's that? Paul White. I apologize. Chris is his brother. Paul yeah. uh uh Paul Whites. There were like 20 of them in Hollywood who are just like, did anyone see admission? No. Did it have a bunch of stars in it? Yes. Did do you get to do another one? Yes. Yeah. And it's like and they're just sort of people who make mediocre movies that don't make a lot of money and don't do much critically, and then they just go on to make the next one. And then if you are Tamara Jenkins, you know, it's like Slums of Beverly Hills, what else you got? You know, like 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> 10 years later, she gets to do um, the savages. And then 10 years after that, she gets to do private lives. Right. And it's like, well, and it's, and it's like grand. And it's like, again, on paper, just the pitch of the movie is a thing that I'm like, yeah, that seems like a thing that should exist. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that if this is going to just be like sort of streaming trash that just sort of like ends up on a Hulu or Netflix every two years, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I, it's like I'm glad that that's that this is a, that it's one that is specifically about abortion and how abortion access is important yeah. and like the ways that the arguments people make against abortion action um, and, and and like dismiss dismissing those arguments and stuff like that. Like it doesn't do a great job with it. Again, Sam Elliott. Why? But mm-hmm. like um, like I'm it's I have generally it's painless and I and I'm sort of on its side. Uh, it just feels like a big missed opportunity. Um, also, I'm pretty sure if an abortion protester, uh, anti-abortion protester punches you, then then the abortion clinic will go, oh, good, that's what we've been waiting for. Then we can call the cops and yeah. then get them taken out. Yeah, They're not peacefully uh, protesting anymore. They assaulted someone with yeah. witnesses. Yeah. Um, but instead, the abortion clinic was like, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny those Christians punch you in the face? What can you do? <laughs> well, it was Both a little, sides. It was a little kid, and, and th- th- there's no there's no other kind of fresh, original It was a little joke. kid with a Lego brass knuckles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very weird. You don't get a good look at what she's doing, but she's basically making brass knuckles out of Legos before she punches Lily Tomlin in the face. Yeah. And then for the next 10 hours, Lily Tomlin has a big black eye. So yeah. I think that should be enough to get him kicked out. And, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Um, anyway, this is a disappointing movie. Yeah, it is. But we do have more to say because we have the other segment. That's true. Uh, which is a, uh, a, a, a rotating carnival of mirth and wonder mm-hmm. in which we each come up with a segments and pitch it to the other yeah and um who knows what's gonna happen do you want to go first i do want to go first okay very good so as established i before this movie always thought about lily tomlin as someone who has amazing chemistry with whoever she is paired with right um and i kind of think that way about judy greer um like i don't i don't think judy greer has a movie that's the equivalent of shortcuts where she's getting like five different amazing scenes with like three different amazing actors. Mm -hmm. But like Judy Greer is someone on this podcast frequently. We're like, Oh my gosh, Judy Greer and Natasha Leone. We didn't know how much we needed it. And then we see predicted of Fresno and we're like, this is a flawed movie, but man, Judy Greer and and Natasha Leone together. That's something. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought, what if you looked at the career of Lily Tomlin and found an actor that she had been paired with in the past and then pluck Lily Tomlin out of it and then say, what if that actor instead was in a movie? Not necessarily the same movie that Lily Tomlin, not necessarily recasting Judy Greer as Lily Tomlin's character, Mm -hmm. but just recasting Judy Greer as being opposite an actor Lily Tomlin has been opposite. Um, And I call this segment, Tomlin is Tom Lout. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're we're, we're moving her out of there. Very good. Very good. Um, Tom Lynn is Tom Lynn. <laughs> um, my idea for this segment was that I would like to see uh, Judy Greer opposite uh, an actor who was in another movie with Lily Tomlin that I went into with high hopes and 
found it did not live up to my expectations. That movie being nine to five. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I think um, it just doesn't land the jokes. Yeah. It's it's one of those movies that like on paper, you get why everyone has declared it a cult phenomenon. And then you watch and you go, but it's not that good. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's not that funny. The song is amazing. Great, 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 great. Banger. Um, Anthem of class warfare. Uh, But the movie itself, not a big fan. However, I would love to see Judy Greer work with Dolly Parton. Yeah. Either either early 80s Dolly Parton, um, current day Dolly Parton. I think they would be so delightful together. I specifically would like to see them co-host a cooking show (laughs) uh, where I would call it the Jolly Show. Yeah. Like like putting their names together. Jolly. Judy and Dolly. Jolly Show. Um. And I just want to see them chat while teaching each other uh, recipes. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Dolly Parton is from Tennessee. Judy Greer, she's from Michigan. She's from the Midwest. So I feel like there could be, they're each bringing like a, um, like a, a, a popular dish from their region. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, today we're doing a, a, a casserole and today we're doing, oh, I know what they eat in Tennessee. I sure do. I'm, I'm. Yep. Well, you got to get some ribs, sugar. Yeah, yeah, We're sure. Slather some ribs yeah, yeah. and some Memphis sweet ribs. barbecue sauce. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think just sharing recipes and being really endearing together and just having having a good old time and and, and showing America what 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 to make for dinner. And it's not beef because Sam Elliott is not invited. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's that. What that is Sam Elliott and those beef. It's what's for dinner. Pretty sure. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I also like Dolly Parton and Judy Greer are both hyper feminine women. Yeah. Who I can't actually picture cooking. I think they have, I think they have, they both probably have really gorgeous chi- uh, kitchens. Yeah. And I think both of them. And, and great manicures. Agree. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the idea of both of them being very sweet and bubbly and enthusiastic. But also when it comes time to actually do the cooking, they're like, I think you just put it in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why Julia Child was so popular because she would just, you know, um, make, make a little mistake on air and just sort of laugh about it and move yeah, on and yeah. it was it was relatable <laughs> right you know you know the uh nailed it uh the uh, the, sh- the uh, oh, baker yes. on nailed it I, they might need like one grumpy little frenchman oh yes <laughs> <laughs> who cannot take all of the feminine energy that is just that he's being <laughs> just doused with yeah yeah nicole Byer, the host of nailed it also has that kind of energy where she's very she's very feminine and and very up and and bubbly i i love her podcast why won't you date me but i can only listen to like an episode or two at a time because it's like it's like eating cotton candy it's like this is delicious i need to stop and take a break (laughs) um i i also like that you went outside the box as far as like a movie and you were like no they can do a cooking show yeah that's fun um so uh one of my favorite movies of all time is nashville sure where lily tomlin uh is is married to ned Beatty. Mm -hmm. um Lily Tomlin in that movie is a very fascinating character. Like like so many of the characters in that movie, you get just enough details to paint the, a portrait of an extremely complicated and weird person. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a woman who is in the only white woman in an all-black Baptist choir. Uh, she also has two deaf children. Um, she also had an affair with 
a folk rock star who's basically like uh, he's played by Keith Carradine and he's basically uh, like a Peter Paul and Mary like kind of stand in like oh, okay. the, the group that he's a member of is like that. Uh-huh. She had an affair with that when he was in town once uh-huh. and he's like pining after her and she's like trying not to blow up her marriage. So she's like she's like, I want, yes, I want to be with you. Uh, but like at the same time, stop calling. I don't want you to tempt me. Um, and eventually you know, the whole movie is nothing but women throwing themselves at Keith Carradine. Mm-hmm. And it is Lily Tomlin, who is absolutely wonderful, but not the portrait of Hollywood beauty. Right. Um, like, is the one that he gets hung up on because she's the one who turns him down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she's this fascinating character. And I not necessarily the way, the character I would choose for Judy Greer. But Ned Beatty in that movie plays this, like, politician mm-hmm. who's, like... He's very uncomfortable at home, so he's kind of a workaholic just to avoid the fact that he doesn't really know sign language very well, and Mm -hmm. he clearly doesn't get along with his kids as well as his wife does, Mm -hmm. Um, and he is all enmeshed in the political world of of Nashville, and he's trying to get... uh, I think he's the one who's trying to get the the weird... uh, Hal Wallace, I think is the name of the character, uh, elected, Um, but, uh, but I like that character that he's playing which is like slightly pompous but like sort of off off key a little and he or like he's just sort of off balance and he can't he doesn't quite have full command over anything Mm -hmm. um and he's trying desperately and he's very blustery and in that ned Beatty kind of way i i adore ned Beatty. he's like one of my favorite actors um and i like the idea of him and then judy greer being like this trophy this like blonde trophy wife who okay knows how to like wrap him around her finger and like to just manipulate him and he just he tries to put his foot down and say like you can't go shopping you can't this or whatever and he uh-huh. and she just she's just too smart for him and <laughs> she's just sort of like she's already out the door with the credit card before he has a chance to say anything like i like the idea of um judy greer blood tre- treating this guy like crap a little bit <laughs> um um, like, like she's convinced him that Amazon.com is like is like a rainforest nonprofit that she's donating to when he's looking at the credit card. Something bills. like something yeah. like that. And he's and he's and again, like this is I'm picturing 70s Ned Beatty. I'm picturing like a movie takes oh, uh-huh. place in the 70s okay. where it is just like, now, look, I'm the man of the house and I got to put my foot down. And she's like, of course, you're a man. That's why I love you is that you're <laughs> such a manly man. <laughs> And she's just, you know, and she's like, you know, she's like eight inches taller than him. Yeah. And she's like, you're my key man. And then there's a good version oh, of the no. key man. Oh, no. Oh, no. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Let's dump it. The whole thing. I forgot that the last 70s Judy Greer thing we saw was the key man. But she looks so great with that Farrah Fawcett haircut. It's true. So, it's I true. Mean, I mean, you know, th- there's no reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that Robert Altman had a real great touch with like beautiful funny women in mm. the 70s like so many of his movies have these great performances by women mm-hmm. and and very quirky strange women and like when you think about Julie Christie and like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or you know you think about so many of the characters in Nashville it's mm-hmm. like um I I feel like Judy Greer whose career did not quite line up with Robert Altman's in a way no. that made that make sense like I think she would have fit in really well oh yeah yeah um, yeah she'd be really good I think her ensemble. ability to very quickly sketch uh, a strange detail about someone yeah um while or or just like be this irrepressible force of energy in a mm-hmm. scene or whatever like all of those things would have served her great in one of those big robert altman ensemble movies yeah. um so that's the kind of thing i'm picturing well speaking of pairings that make our little hearts go pitter patter my segment is going to be us reviewing 
the movies that we have covered thus far on 96 Greer's where Judy Greer's character uh, has a romantic attachment in the movie. And we are going to agree on the top three romantic chemistry pairings. Okay. And this is a segment that I like to call Judy Madly Deeply. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you. Judy Madly Deeply, one of the horniest songs I had ever heard as a sixth grader. (laughs) (laughs) My brain could not process the feelings. So thank you very much for that reminder. You are welcome. Um, So of the movies that we have covered so far on this podcast, most of them... She's in some kind of, uh, you know, she's in a marriage. She's uh, in a will they, won't they. Um, she has a one night stand. Something of that nature happens. Actually, the only movie that we have done so far where she doesn't have some kind of romantic or sexual entanglement is Lolly Love. She's only on screen for like a minute. I'm going to go through the rest of the movies. I'm going to read them out and we can, um, you know, decide from these movies, which ones just automatically get thrown out the window are nowhere near our top three. Okay. So we have addicted to Fresno. She has like, like a, will they, won't they kind of growing chemistry with, uh, Malcolm Barrett's character. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have good boy where, um, she's trying to hide the bodies and she is fucking a detective. Uh, then we have Aporia, where she has a really uh, beautiful, bittersweet um, relationship with her husband. And that's like, we're going to keep that one in. Uh, then we have uh, Adaptation, where she is uh, a, a waitress that Charlie Kaufman has a crush on. Um, then we have The Descendants, uh, where she is married to uh, the guy who is cucking George Clooney. Uh then we have what plan? Brian Spear. Yes, they yes. say Brian Spear a hundred times in that movie, That's and I'll true. never forget Brian that Spear. Matthew Lillard played Brian Spear Brian in The Descendants. Um, then we have what planet are you from? One Night Stand with uh, not Greg Kinnear. <laughs> oh no, not Greg Kinnear. Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. But Greg Kinnear is in the movie. That's true. Then we have Pottersville. Her and Michael Shannon. Uh, will they? Won't they? Uh, key man she's she's married to um the guy with the hair yeah uh cat returns she is a a cat maiden and her betrothed is a cat prince uh in memory of my father her husband just died uh and then of course grandma uh gets dumped by by lily tomlin so i'm gonna say uh cat returns key man in memory of my father automatically you know not not interesting. The, the swooning, my prince has finally come for me factor of the cat returns doesn't do it for you? There's no swooning. They're just sort of like, oh, also we're engaged. Oh, that's right. Oh, P.S. we're engaged. That's right. It's, it's a it's a surprise reveal to, to the audience and other characters, but that's yeah. not them. Yeah. All right, yeah. never mind. That's it. Um, yeah, and then in memory of my father, I mean, I mean, she, her, you know, she is reacting to the death of her husband and, and kind of has some you know, moments with, with the corpse where she's kind of, you know, processing everything and, and then she smokes a joint with his son and they make out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
Um, what planet are you from? I, 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 I don't know. It's it's kind of a scene that's, that's played for laughs. It's like it's like she gets sexually harassed until she says fine. Yeah. So we're, we'll take that one off. Um, the descendants. She's married, but I don't. They, they don't really even interact. That we see. It's mostly her interacting with George Clooney. Right. Is most of her role. Um, adaptation again. It's like it's like creepy dude fantasizing about her. Um, so that cuts it down to five. Uh-huh. So that cuts it down to Addicted to Fresno, Good Boy, Aporia, Pottersville, and Grandma. Yeah. Um, I think that Aporia is probably towards the top. That's that's what the movie is. Yeah. And and I think they have a really lovely relationship. I think it's well acted. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, so Aporia stays on the list. Um, you you have any thoughts about our remaining five titles? I I'm gonna go ahead and make a make a bold claim here. Uh-huh. I think you just got to keep pairing Judy Greer up with black men. <laughs> I think I think Addicted to Fresno, Good Boy, and Aporia are our three, and those are the three where she she's dating some nice black gentleman who's like who's she's trying to keep something from him basically, but he's a very sweet and kind man. <laughs> there's there's honestly like a little bit of a, of a dyna- similar dynamic in those three relationships where she has a secret, um, but they're very good and and it's like it could only work it would work out if only this they didn't have this secret thing in between them. I really like the relationship that she has in Addicted to Fresno with yeah. Malcolm Barrett's character. Yeah. I find I, I think he's very charming. Yeah, um, I love that he just is like they have their insane plan to steal bar mitzvah money. Yeah, and he just sort of goes. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, and like, like, like they some they, shitty little <laughs> rapping kid. Yeah, we could steal his money. They meet at work, smoking together behind the building, which is like just just like like an A plus way to to build a relationship. Um, I will say, good boy. I am a little. Uh, I am I am hesitant to keep good boy on the list. Okay. Um. Number one, a cab. Number <laughs> number two, uh, <laughs> when I was coming up with this segment and looking at the list of movies we covered, I sat here and I said to myself, "Was there a romantic relationship in Good Boy?" And I thought about it, and I thought about it, I thought about, it, and I said, "Oh yeah, there's like a thing with a nanny cam, and she's sleeping over his house." That- that's all I could remember about that relationship. Oh, that's left- like the whole thing is she's trying to keep her murder. He's the one he's investigating her murders. It's like that classic uh, thriller setup. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's a, I know yeah. it's a classic. All right, setup, well, but I, I think I, just... I think the only thing that can re- I think addicted to Fresno and Aporia have to be in here. Yeah, and I think I if agree. Good Boy isn't in here, the only thing that can replace it is Pottersville, and I don't think they have particularly glittering chemistry. But like, really. but they are, they are at least seem like they're friends and they're sweet. Like they're kind of sweet. What, what, what would you replace good boy with? I mean, yeah, we don't, we don't really have a lot of options. Do we? Cause def- definitely not grandma. I mean, definitely I mean, not I mean grandma. The, this whole segment came about because I said to myself, I don't like this chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't, we can't include grandma. Uh- <laughs> yeah, if we're talking about purely like screen chemistry, 
I really loved Nicolas Cage and Judy Greer working together. Yeah. But if you're talking about the chemistry of the characters, well, I mean, I guess that works too because it's a fantasy. Because <laughs> she's because yeah. in that movie she's playing a real person and she's also playing a fantasy projection of that person. And also them bouncing off each other in the real life scenario is is pretty good where she is trying so hard to be like bubbly professional and then she realizes that he's taking it the wrong way and he is just trying to hit on her and it's it and it's just th- that that moment when it goes too far it's like everyone sees it yes yes i mean that is a chemistry of a kind yeah i mean <laughs> if we're not looking for the three best relationships then definitely adaptation should be in here because i would you know, and i was thinking of this in terms of of chemistry because even though um for the segment name i i landed on the uh the savage garden yeah. reference I was trying so hard to think of like a Breaking Bad reference that would make you really angry at me. And mm-hmm. I couldn't think of one to fit Judy Greer's name into. Crystal Jude Persuasion. That's yeah. what comes into my mind. Yeah, I was, I was thinking I am the Judy who Greers, but like. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go with that Yeah, one. I'm glad I did it, but, but I did get it that on the podcast. Been, that would have been so baffling a title. You were, if you set yeah. up the premise that you said, I am the Judy who Greers, yeah, I would yeah, just it, be crickets in between my yeah, ears. I, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it would have landed mm-hmm. so um but but yeah i was i was just thinking like like chemistry like like, like what's the relationship that makes you sit up and go ooh, kind of yeah yeah and i mean good point i'm for, for the love of for the love of all that is holy i cannot remember anything about that relationship i remember thinking they were cute so it was one of those things where i'm like oh i hope this works out because they're cute yeah so that's what that's why i included it um but uh yeah if you want to replace good blo- good boy with uh uh adaptation i think that makes sense okay okay great so uh so our our official uh as of as of episode 14 of 96 greers oh what about um no it's, it's gonna make it too complicated i was gonna say what about another marriage but let's, let's we've not. already t- yeah, yeah the, another the marriage not on our utilization yeah, list you're right the also i didn't think she had per- Particular, I guess the the two actors worked well together, but I didn't. Yeah. I did, that didn't seem to be the strength of the play. To yeah, me. I guess not. And I, and I guess it's always gonna like work a little better when you're seeing it in person, right? Um, I guess I, that's why the same reason we couldn't put it in utilization is because yeah. it's hard to judge actors' chemistry when it's like we literally saw the two actors. We yeah. could have ran up and touched them. We yeah, would have yeah. gotten kicked out, but we <laughs> oh could have done it. But like, they can't stop us before we touch them. <laughs> I don't know. Judy Greer seems like she can run pretty fast, so faster than me, at least. Um, okay, so um, so yeah, so we will, we're officially saying as of episode fourteen, uh, the three movies where we feel that Judy Greer has the best chemistry with the gentleman who she is paired with is Addicted to Fresno, Aporia, and Adaptation. Though I will say, if we're just talking about two actors having chemistry, I do like her and J Lo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They have a ve- they have a very weird thing going on, and I think I think J Lo is is so grounded and so like just she's she's not taking a lot of big risks as an actor or anything, and then that gives Judy Greer permission to be absolutely silly as hell. Well, I like Judy Greer and the little dog in Good Boy. They that's have true. they have amazing chemistry. That little song that she sings to him, so cute. <laughs> I think I think I think we picked the right three though. Yeah, no, I I agree. Which brings us to Judalization. Right. We just read the list out. Um, the only one that we took out was Lolly Love. Addicted to Fresno is still at number one. Um, in memory of my father, is still 
way down in the depths. Where does grandma fit in terms of how well the movie utilizes the acting talents of Judy Greer? I'm going to start by saying bottom half. Okay. Okay. So you think she is more poorly utilized than in, say, Lolly Love. That's correct. Okay. I guess Lolly Love is is kind of the, the, the control of this experiment because it's like, well, she's technically in it. She's technically <laughs> in it and she's technically in it in a role that's perfect for her, but yeah. only for 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Under Lolly Love, we have What Planet Are You From? Um, I She's not funny in this and she's funny in What Planet Are You From? So yeah. I guess I'll put, put this below What Planet Are You From? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think she is... In a role that is appropriate to her energies and her strengths. In what planet are you from? Right. It's not a it's not a great role. Not but, a great role. But it, it works for her as has one embar- has one embarrassing moment that I'm very mad that is in the movie where John Goodman says it's an alien and then it like zooms in on her face and she just goes a whoa like <laughs> yeah. that. I well, think it's embarrassing, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she's not the director. <laughs> I think she is properly cast in Pottersville. It's uh-huh. not a good character. No, but like at least it. It's like, yes, Judy Greer runs a bakery in a small town and is kind of sweet and nice to everybody. Yeah. And is like friends with this down on his luck guy. So that brings us to Key Man. Now, we both have our opinions about the movie as a movie. But is Judy Greer as bland 70s wife a better utilization than Judy Greer as... Uh, fresh ex-girlfriend of second wave feminist poet i i want to say there is no moment in key man where i think she is as bad as she is in some parts of grandma Mm -hmm. that being said there is no moment so here's the thing grandma she's miscast yeah i feel like the bottom the cat returns and in memory of my father yeah are that's where that's the sort of burial ground for where we put the miscast movies yeah i'd agree and i don't think she's miscast in the key man She's just she's just a fat lot of nothing in the key man. Yeah. And so the question is, do you take a movie that says Judy Greer is an actor of some dramatic talent and we're going to give her three scenes where she can presumably flex those muscles? Uh, do you put that below the movie that gives her a fat lot of nothing if she is miscast and she's in a movie where no one's doing a particularly good job acting? I, it's, that's a that's a struggle for me. Where do you where do you land? You know, I I really think with Grandma, the way that the character is written in terms of where she is in her life and then Judy Greer uh, being in her early 40s when she plays the role, it's not a good fit. Yeah. Um, I mean, either you write the character to be more mature or you cast a younger actress. Right. Or you give some explanation as to why she's as immature as she is. It's it's just not a good fit with, with where she was in her life and her career. Um Yeah, and, and and I agree with you. The the key man, she's not given anything to do. I mean, as I said before, she looks really cute with the Farrah Fawcett haircut, but True. I think grandma has to go below key man. But above Cat Returns. Okay, yes. Number 11 of 13. Not the 11th worst movie we've covered. Right. No, not at all. Just the 11th worst 
movie in terms of the role and the uh, what, what Judy Greer is given to work with. We're saying 11th worst. It's more like third best. Yeah. <laughs> or third or third, third worst, worst. Yeah. or 11th best. <laughs> third, third most robbed of a role uh, worthy of her talent. Do you think that with the rise of these movies where they cast older women... Um, they should bring back the hag shocker and they should do uh, whatever happened to baby Jane and who slew Aunt Rue and what's the matter with Helen and all these movies. Do you think Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda should be in some sort of death spiral together? Absolutely. Like granted, there was there was something like a little crappy and and like dismissive about like let's take all of these like sincerely great actors and like let's put them in these really trashy right. horror movies instead of letting them do anything with any dramatic scary i mean like who whatever happened to baby jane is a movie that utilizes all sorts of talents that sure uh, but like but maybe trog the movie where joan crawford plays a scientist who's trying to protect a caveman she finds oh no <laughs> it's like oh. maybe, maybe they could have found some better uses for these for these actors towards the end of their life same time it's like if i had to choose between the book club or a movie where lily tomlin murders the book club <laughs> i'm probably gonna get more enjoyment out of the, the latter I I would love to see that and I think there is there there are so many like structural difficulties that we are facing with um the population of seniors growing yeah um and just um because this country fucking sucks just not being set up to um to help people survive as they get past an age where they can like work full time. And um, I, I feel, I feel like that is really fertile ground for a uh, class war. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean uh, a movie <laughs> like, uh, like who slew aunt Prue or whatever the fuck. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I too agree that we should probably rise up and decapitate all of the billionaires. I mean, yeah. we should probably uh, do a remake of uh, whatever happened to hush, hush, King. sweet Charlotte. Yes. yes. Um, but, uh, but this time uh, Jane Fonda gets to hold the ax. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and there are so many uh, talented actresses of a certain age. I mean, you have you have Sally Field, you have Tyne Daly, mm-hmm. you have um, uh, of course you have Lily Tomlin. Um, yeah, just like so many people um, who would be amazing. Also, horror is now a thing that's like it's making a lot of money theatrically in an era when nothing non-Marvel is. Uh-huh. Um, and I hear that a lot of those movies are about grief. <laughs> that's so. <laughs> I was going to say, it shouldn't be only Jamie Lee Curtis who gets the fun of being uh, the like returning uh, vengeful heroine who gets mm. to blast a shotgun in Michael Myers' face or yeah. whatever. Um, they apparently, the uh, same people who did uh, the ho- the new Halloween trilogy are doing a new Exorcist movie that's coming out in October and they brought back Ellen Burstyn, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. it's like, I think she just cried a lot because her daughter was in, was being traumatized. I don't think she's like an expert in exorcism. I don't know why they have to call yeah. her in like she's fucking Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know what she's done in in the maybe she's been like like Linda Hamilton but saying the rosary. I mean, you don't know. <laughs> you don't she's, know. She's just in this cell like lifting smoke orbs. Yeah. <laughs> getting swole. Like Linda Hamilton but with the rosary. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Well, I'm glad we went down this digression. Yeah. Uh before we end, Patrick has another podcast currently on hiatus called tracks of the damned mm-hmm. uh 
where well, why don't you explain tracks of the damned tracks of the damned is a podcast where i record a commentary track for a different horror movie and um i've had guests on i've done them solo and once i had uh you reg on yeah i've been on a couple episodes mm-hmm. yeah um uh one episode that uh that i was part of was when we were visiting our friends jess and nick mm-hmm. um and they've been together for a long time they're married and one of their early dates was seeing Troll 2 in theaters and uh Jess is a big Troll 2 fan it's kind of been a uh I mean we, we've been we've been best friends since high school and that's Troll 2 is one of the things that's kind of been a running joke uh for us and, and another friend of ours um so we uh we all sat down to record a commentary track of just reacting to watching Troll 2 as people who'd kind of seen it before and, and could chat about it it's it's hard to do a podcast when you don't have like a professional studio because all the you know environmental noises kind of you know get mixed in and you don't really know what's going to happen and um at the very end of the episode you know things have been going pretty well pretty smooth we're having a good time uh and then we, we wrapped up and you know patrick said whatever whatever your 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 sign off is and their their cat audie came into the room and just started chirping at us hadn't bothered us for the whole two hours but just chose like exact perfect time to come in after the sign off and just start meowing and we all just like lost it because it was the cutest thing just just this little gray and white pudding just coming in to to get his two cents in wonderful fat cat yeah yeah just a, a real cutie and um audie died uh, a couple days ago we just wanted to dedicate this episode to Audie's memory as probably the cutest guest that has uh been in the uh Patrick Rapole podcast universe um so Audie uh we we miss you and um Jess and Nick we we love you very much and and we're thinking about you um during this really difficult time Our next episode is going to be on the notorious 2005 flop Elizabethtown directed by Cameron Crowe. So that should be another. Speaking of the the podcast, the Patrick Roble podcast universe, the very first episode of Director's Club that me and Jim ever did. Oh, my God. Was on Cameron Crowe and we covered Say Anything and Elizabethtown. Oh, really? And that must have been. Not that long after Elizabethtown came out. It was about like five years after. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, still uh, fresher in your mind. Absolutely. <laughs> you can follow 96 Greers on Mastodon at 96Greers at LaserDisc.Party. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape. You cannot follow Patrick on Letterboxd because uh, we don't like to talk about it. No, but I am on Instagram and Blue Sky as Uptown Song Club. So... You're on Blue Sky? Yeah. I got an invite and it was one of those things where it was like, oh, no one I know is on Mastodon and I don't know how to follow people on Mastodon, but I know people on Blue Sky, so I'll follow them here. Okay. Well, follow Patrick on Blue Sky, I guess. (laughs) 96 Greers is part of the Now Playing Podcast Network. Check out Now Playing for other great shows about uh, film and pop culture and media. And until next time, I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And And say say goodbye to these. these.